Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, November 17th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? I think my landlord heard the last podcast. The heat has been blistering and sauna-like in the driest, worst possible way since then. Uh, Also dealing with no hot water, it seems like. I spent about five minutes in the shower waiting for it to heat up, and it didn't, so I just gave up and got out without having showered. Uh, So a little dirty, a little sweaty. Other than that, not too bad. How are you? Not bad. Feels like they took the heat from the water and put it into the air. That's the <laughs> basically, and like I don't know where all the moisture went. Yikes! Well, uh, I don't know if you've gotten snow up there yet. Oh yeah, but got it. yeah, it, we got. We've been getting plenty this this weekend and and early this week, and more on the way. I don't think we're going to get hit as hard as uh, Northeast U.S., but. Um, definitely a lot of snow on its way and it, it truly did go from uh warm warm fall to winter in in, a, in about a week and a half just trying to kind of struggle through that transition i uh, hope everyone's got their snow tires on i hope everyone's got their winter jackets ready to go because things are about to get cold and dark for many many months <laughs> One of my classmates is from Mexico, and someone asked him, like, have you seen the snow before? And we got, I don't know, five centimeters, so like a dusting relative yeah. to what's to come. And he, he was like, oh, yeah, I've seen snow before, but never as much as this. And we all just kind of laughed. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, uh, we have, we have a, a frisbee player at Western from Hong Kong and was complaining about how cold Canada is. And then we pulled up the weather. We pulled up the weather in Hong Kong, and it was the same. So I guess it just feels different over here. I was talking to another, my TA, and like he spent a few years in Edmonton, and he said it feels colder in Montreal with the humidity. So hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder what the, what the science behind that would be. I mean, the same way humidity makes it hotter it makes it also colder Interesting. air moisture someone explained it to me uh once and <laughs> actually they said it like man my ex-boyfriend was such an idiot he didn't even know that this happened and i like slowly raised my hand like i also didn't know that could you explain <laughs> that <laughs> uh, it's on yeah, but it's gone now Interesting. Yeah. So a lot of humidity here in, in our country, I guess they don't experience it the same way in other parts of the world. Yeah. Certain parts of the, anywhere near a big body of water, I I guess, I don't know. You can't be too far from some of the great lakes. No. Yeah. This is not what the podcast is about. We're we're not weathermen. Uh, So we'll, we'll we'll, uh, end this conversation abruptly and, and use our time today to talk about the sporting world which is uh which has kept on rolling and we got lots more today um to talk about heading into the weekend and mostly basketball centric but uh lots of other stuff to touch on too it's been an eventful couple of days and uh i'm i'm ready to dive right into it max if you are get after it football fan cave week 11 of the nfl season kicks off tonight uh, with a Thursday night game between the Tennessee Titans and the Green Bay Packers. One of the better potential Thursday matchups we've gotten so far this season, although neither of these teams is a, a top-tier contender, uh, more of a bubble team. 
typically when that happens, you give the advantage to Tennessee with the coaching and the toughness of this team. And I think this is a show me game. Green Bay getting a massive win, comeback win against the Cowboys last week. And last couple of years, the, their weakness really has been being able to stop the run. And Derrick Henry is going to get a ton of touches tonight. And it's going to be cold. And it, it's not going to feel good to tackle him. But if the Packers defense can can stand him up and limit his productivity uh, and, and get a win here, then that's going to be a really good indicator of of where their team is headed for the rest of the season because in the nfc they are by no means out of the wild card race at, at four and six and so there, there's plenty of potential here to jump back in that race and and they'll need a big win tonight on a two-game skid with the predictions right now so what are you calling tonight <laughs> oh goodness uh i'm gonna go with tennessee just yeah. because of the the kind of matchup there between two middling teams uh, I give the advantage to Vrabel. All right. Uh, looking forward to the weekend. The Buffalo Bills and the Cleveland Browns, I initially didn't have this game on my list, uh, but had to bring it up because that game is now being played in a new setting, playing in Ford Field in Detroit, as Buffalo is forecasted to receive six feet of snow this weekend. So? <laughs> uh, no, there's definitely been some great, snow games in the past in the nfl but obviously made the call that the infrastructure is not there to withhold this historic looking snowstorm on the horizon and so they are moving to an indoor facility in detroit where it's not going to get hit as hard uh this has happened before but i think that's really going to benefit the bills actually in this case because of their uh, air attack uh, being able, not affected as much by the elements in, in Buffalo and, and Cleveland, a team that really their bread and butter is running the football, just not going to be as effective uh, being indoors rather than in the snow and, and the game comes down to a running game. So uh, Bills actually benefit here maybe from from not having a home game. I'm see All their fans will still travel though with the success the team's been having. So it will be an interesting atmosphere there. Other games to watch this week, the Jets and the Patriots uh, rematch here from a couple weeks ago where the Pats stopped the, the Jets who were on a bit of a hot streak there and they seem to have their numbers. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if Zach Wilson can make any adjustments. His <laughs> All the Jets quarterbacks of recent memory have really, really struggled against Bill Belichick and the Patriots defense and uh, the Jets, if they want to prove that they're for real, this is the boogeyman that they have to uh, <laughs> exercise from from their uh, from their season to move on. Dallas and Minnesota, another really intriguing matchup. Can this Cowboys defense slow down uh, the Vikings, who have won seven in a row, and and Kirk Cousins retiring the the chain and the <laughs> Kirk Thuggins mantra from the from the he picked the perfect time to do it. Right, you don't want to keep doing it until you lose because then the other team is going to clown you. It's bulletin board material. So he retires it early. I think that's smart. The one thing working against Kirk Cousins is it is a primetime or afternoon game, 425. Not completely primetime, but he's got more spotlight on him. Uh, so it will not be the new nightmare for, for Kirk Cousins. Uh, he will have to play with more eyes trained on that game, especially now at the Vikings 8-1. So Dallas needing a bounce back after a tough loss last week against Green Bay. It will be interesting to see if if Micah Parsons and, and company can get after Kirk and, and cause him to make some throwaways. On the other side, Dak Prescott, similar. 
in terms of production and interceptions and big time moments as Kirk Cousins, just earlier along in his career. Um, this Vikings defense is bend but don't break, make some big plays. Uh, they'll have to really focus on blocking Sidarius Smith, and and if Dak can spread it out, might be might be some good games in store for Ceedee Lamb and Michael Gallup, who's been in and out of the lineup, but should be good to go this weekend. Lastly, here the Chiefs and the Chargers, big one coming up this week, and I just can't wait to see points, 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 because uh, whenever these two play, a lot of special moments. Uh, a lot of big time throws and plays from the quarterbacks, Herbert and Holmes. And so looking forward to seeing these two battle it out. And I mean, I'm out on the Broncos season, but if they can get a win here and one of these two teams loses, that's always good news in the AFC West. Well, one of them has to lose, right? And well, yes. And, and a tie is basically a loss too in yeah. the NFL. Yeah. Broncos play the Raiders. So uh, important division game there for them. All right, that's going to do it for our football fan cave. Uh, shout out to the Commanders getting the big upset, uh, ruining the undefeated season for Philadelphia. Uh, we'll see how they bounce back this weekend as well. All right, we'll move along to basketball storylines here. A lot of different teams I want to touch on, so we'll try and keep it brief, but uh, I don't really believe myself even as I say that. Kicking off with a bit of a mea culpa, my bad, the Golden State Warriors are not looking like they're going to finish first in the NBA West. Uh, they are not even looking close to a top three team. They have been trash for reasons A to B and uh, D through Z, everything but Steph Curry. Uh, this latest game, probably the cornerstone low point so far it had everything uh, a road game a ridiculous performance from steph curry horrible shot selection from clay thompson nothing from the rest of the bench i start had this starting off with the segment in the notes that wiseman's been put down to the g league to get more reps more touches on the ball uh, than this warriors team can currently allow him to get uh, but a lot of things going on here we have a team that's at the tail end of its dynasty uh, with the big three players reaching the end of their longevity primes uh, we have a bunch of prospects who seem to be further behind on the development than thought we have jordan Poole, who so far hasn't shown much of anything like he showed in last year's playoffs uh, the spurs win the one exact exception to that so far did i mention clay thompson yet i saw a couple of highlights i haven't been watching the warriors too much but a couple of the highlights from last uh a back-to-back -back sequence where golden state gets a stop curry takes the ball up in transition uh the first time he has thompson on his right pool on his left wiggins ahead of pool the pass to pool would have set up either him for the open shot or wiggins for the open shot defending depending on the defense he goes to thompson who immediately takes a contested three it goes out suns take it back golden state gets another stop I think with Curry in the paint on Aiton too, so not a stop you'd normally get. It was one of those two. I can't remember which one. Uh, this time even worse. Curry again sends it up to Thompson, shoots another contested three, this time with Wiggins wide open in the corner, not even two passes away. 
I mean, he's shooting worse from the three-point line than Russell Westbrook so far this season. Oh, at the, this is the one that really jumped out to me, partly because I'm one of those suckers who jumps on the hate train when the comments from him are so prickly and defensive. Uh, but take your pick. What jumps out to you about the Golden State Warriors slump so far, and is this fixable? Yeah, to be succinct here to start, um, Wiseman getting sent down, I think it's a good call. Get his confidence up. Get him reps. I think he'll eat there uh, when, if unless they play a similar type of offense. Because that's what I was going to say. What's contributing to this is they're giving their younger guys more minutes and guys who haven't been in this system for five years, and and it's it's just not translating the same way. They don't run a ton of pick and roll spread offense that most teams do in the league. It's a lot of five out motion, always some sort of action happening, and you have to be cutting constantly and moving without the ball. And not every player is going to be able to do that every single night. And Curry has some of the best cardio of an athlete ever to be able to do what he does every night, and you can't rely on all of your players to to keep up to that level. And the other piece of it is a lack of defense. A lot of these things that are plaguing them now did exist last year but it was overshadowed by the greatness of of Steph Curry and the joy that this team plays with that they don't have so far this year it's almost like someone got punched in the face or something um but yes. they don't play they don't play defense uh it's it's frankly terrible i think they're 26th ranked in the in the nba in defense and then uh the other piece of that is thompson was a pretty inefficient player last year but it the obviously rose-colored glasses of just being happy that he was back. Um, but he was pretty inefficient last year, and he made some big shots. But I, I never want to knock him because he's had an incredible career, but there's only certain level you can attain when you've had this two serious injuries like he did, right? And so um, still a, f- a fantastic shooter, but might be trying to force it a little bit trying to regain it yeah it's it's almost the Dion waiters method like i'd rather go 0 for 20 in a game because that means i was confident enough to keep putting up that next shot rather than than shutting it down and i think most people want clay to shoot through it because of how historically great he's been as a shooter but it's cost them so far this season and some some tough losses six and eight now i believe is their record I mean, we're going to talk about the Mavericks in a second. And uh, you look at Reggie Bullock, who did decently from the three-point line, especially in the playoffs last season. And he's missing a ton of open looks. Uh, The win over the Clippers, they won mostly because Bullock hit the open looks in the fourth quarter. Clay Thompson isn't missing open looks. He's missing contested threes that are way too early in the shot clock. And in the example I gave with some guys wide open and better shots to be had on the court, uh, it's not an issue of a shooting slump so much as bad shot selection. And I don't think you shoot through bad shot selection. Just a bit of my bad there, really regretting that pick so far. This is a move, as you mentioned, with trying to get the prospects um, ahead in the development curve. So when the end of the previous Golden State dynasty arrives, um, the future isn't bleak. Uh, So we'll see if that gamble pays off for Golden State, how much and if there's a rise of these players fitting into the system that has been crafted for some very unique players. So it's not a given that that can be done. 
we'll save it for a future pod, but I am uh, quite intrigued with this team on the trade possibilities as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I said it, but 0-8 on the road so far. Just absurd. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think two wins against the Kings that most Kings fans will tell you they did only got because of the refs. So this is a record oh. that could be even worse. Yeah, let's talk Kings, man. They're okay. on. They're on a bit of a roll. And <laughs> the beam. Uh, light the beam, baby. <laughs> the beam, um, baby. <laughs> now uh, it's hard to fully fall in love with Terrence Davis after what happened in his uh, untimely departure of the Toronto Raptors, but he had a a thrilling performance. Uh, in their last game, I believe it was 31 off the bench uh, and was has always been a great shooter. And, and the talent's starting to coalesce there in Sacramento. And it's just a different vibe to this team. A lot of guys who have done it in the league for a couple of years now. And, and just the talent speaks for itself, right? If you've got Terrence Davis and Malik Monk and Kevin Herter, uh, coming off of your bench, then it, it just leads to more points. And they're starting to buy in on the defensive end as well. Uh, and and Keegan Murray and Davion Mitchell, their two first-round picks the last two years, they finally actually got something out of their draft picks, unless we're talking De'Aaron Fox. So, uh, yeah, it's it's coming together. I don't think they're going to skyrocket up the standings, but the vibe that they have is is in a good spot and at least happy for Kings fans that they have something to really cheer for and latch onto. This is a fun-looking team. Last year, a lot of clowning on the Kings front office uh, for the trade that sent... Help me. Oh, uh... Oh man, I'm missing it too. Sabonis comes in, yeah, and uh, Halliburton goes the Halliburton. other way. Oh, um, but the fit looking better. Uh, Sabonis a useful piece, especially with um, Bagley out of there. So we'll see. Herder, as you mentioned, a really nice acquisition as well. A team that could really use some of that three-point shooting back, the Atlanta Hawks. They're below the Lakers in like all the three-point stats so far. And that was on display in their loss to the Celtics, which I'm going to use to transition to our next bit. Um, when we talk awards, a huge, huge part of what goes to who wins the award is the narrative going in. Not every player is going to get their fair look. Uh, the media narratives really do seem to play a huge role in shaping who gets the considerations, much like the fucking Grammys, which were a disaster in their nominations that came out this week. Anyway, uh, one of those big narratives going on right now is Luca versus Tatum. I'm hearing this discussion a lot. So I thought, why not give it a go? We're just, I think, 13 games in for Luca, 15 games in from Tatum. So, so much data still to collect, but one-sixth of the season in, uh, we can have some early takeaways. So going to do at-large through the season and then use some recent games to dive a little deeper. So far, both players are averaging exactly 37.2 minutes per game. As I said, Tatum's played two more games than Luca. Luca has a league-leading 34.4 points a game on 49.7% field goals. Uh, Tatum with 31.1 on 48.1. So Luca scoring three points more on slightly, slightly better efficiency. Uh, on Tatum's 
actually kind of shooting the ball better than Luca everywhere else, though. He's attempting more three-pointers a game, hitting at a higher clip, I think 36% ballpark for Tatum. Luca's around 29. And of course, Tatum able to take a lot more of them off the ball on the catch and shoot than Luca bringing the ball off the court. Uh, he's also like 87% on his free throw percentages to Luca's 76. Uh, so those two surprised me. The other one that surprised me, Luca's second in the league in steals, only behind our Ananobi, uh, 2.1 a game for Luca, uh, Tatum unsurprisingly ahead on blocks. So those are stats hard to, you can't pull it all from there. Mention the Hawks game, uh, for the Celtics. Tatum can have a below average game and the Celtics can still win easy. No Brogdon, no smart. Uh, Tatum, 30% field goal percentage. Brown led the league or led the team in points, but he was only able to play 22 minutes due to foul trouble. And the Celtics still win by 25, not even close. Uh, they pull ahead in the fourth, first quarter and it never gets within five or eight again after that. Uh, this team has won eight straight, and they're simply dominating. On the other side, for the Mavericks, back-to-back uh, -back games against the Clippers and the Rockets, Luka has to do everything. Uh, 35 points, so right around that league average. Highlight of the week for me is uh, game-winning three after... Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith almost turns it over. Luca catches it in an awkward position, just chucks it up with two left on the shot clock. And that would be one point more than the Clippers got in the rest of the game. As I said earlier, uh, a really important part of the Mavericks winning this game was Bullock and Finney-Smith hitting a lot of threes that Bullock especially has struggled with so far this season. Uh, the Clippers making it pretty easy for them to have all the space in the world with a constant double teaming of Luka. Um, but when he's playing like he was that night, hard to argue with the decision. So the Mavericks just barely with a near amazing tier performance by Luka, uh, pure magic, scrape out the win against the Clippers, who are one of the streakiest teams I've seen so far in this season throughout games. And then the next night, they need to rest Luca in the back-to-back, -back, and they lose to the league worst Rockets. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I just thought it was it brings my head back to last season. It's MVP Jokic, who won off the back of not having the two best players and having a team of bench or G leaguers that he brought into what was it, fifth, sixth seed? I think the sixth seed. Uh, with the Mavericks sitting right around the sixth seed and Luca doing something similar, if not even more crazy and impressive so far. If you had to decide the MVP today, my vote would go Luca. If you had asked me whose shoes I'd rather be in, Tatum, no question. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this discussion or any of the games teams that got mentioned in there. Yeah, no, I I pretty much line up with what you said. Um, the Rockets are abysmal, and that's a tough loss for Dallas. Uh, Atlanta, they struggle against teams that can take away a lot of what Trey does. Like the Raptors are another team that beat them by thirty points, and and uh, Trey Young is the engine of that team, and and he gets disrupted by a ton of length, and and that's what the Raptors and Celtics can provide in waves. Right, they're elite defensive teams. 
he's not shot the three ball well at all this season. No. It feels like a quarter of his bag is missing. The lobs, but, yeah, the playmaking still have been incredible, but a really surprising start there. Yeah, the shooting will come back for Trey, and, and the reason why Luca's percentages are low is because he refuses to take a, a catch-and-shoot three, right? It's all off the dribble, all step-back threes, so that's why his percentage is lower. Um, but if if you had him lining up more open shots, he would definitely be shooting a higher percentage. For oh, sure. for sure. But someone yeah. else would have to bring up the ball and throw <laughs> the ball and run the yeah. offense for that to happen. It's a pretty sur- absurd uh, usage percentage uh, for Luca, but he's just he's been out of this world right now, and and someone who deserves every bit of praise that's been heaped on him so far. Another guy who I want to enter into the the top fifteen player conversation um, and has been an MVP to his team in his own right is is one Shea Gilchrist Alexander Bax. Absolutely. I think he's third in scoring so far and doing the 50, 40, 90 thing. It's simply phenomenal. Um, I don't know how many game winners. Yeah. And we saw this coming a mile away, Mm -hmm. but he, it just, it's the same like Jokic Luka argument. He raises the floor of this Oklahoma city team so immensely. Like this is not a high tiered level team and they have a 500 record and he does it night in night out as the focal point of everyone's defensive strategy and makes it look somewhat effortless and now i know that's the style of his game but he scores in in so many different ways uh with with floaters and three level scoring uh at the rim really unique finishes he shoots the mid-range uh off stepping left or stepping right uh back away from defenders of course knocks down the three at a high level had the game winning three-pointer in the final seconds last night against washington but the part that I really love about his game is what he does when he picks up the ball, right? He gets into a pump fake on, on a mid-range, and DeRozan's someone as well like this who's got an interesting bag once you picked up the dribble, Luca as well, but uh, so good at staying pivoted, looking for a space, and it's either a pass down low or to a corner, or he's, he's faking another shot and stepping through uh, and, and attacking the rim in that way, just really clever bag of tricks from SGA. And I had to shout him out because I, I just, it, it, I'm so happy to see a Canadian kid perform at a yeah. high level and what that means for the future of our country's success in, in basketball. But just as well, like it's hard not to root for him. He's just such a f- cool guy and, and is playing out of his mind right now. I think we're one and uh seriously skilled fundamental big away from being second in the world internationally missing that teams like france and spain they're going to give us trouble in the paint especially under international rules but the backcourt is there i always mix the two up yeah the guards and and wings are there it's just the lack of size and once that's there but yeah Shea has been fantastic if this Oklahoma City team was slightly more ahead of 500 and could keep up with the Mavericks he'd be right next to Luca in the MVP conversation and all of this without seeing what Chet's gonna look like next year as well Can you imagine if they got Wembenyama? Well, that's the thing. Is it's going to be team. very, <laughs> it's going to be very teams, unfortunate. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be very unfortunate when they shut him down and tank yet again near the end of this season in in a hope to get another top ten pick. But the thing is, if I'm them, 
I just play through it because you've got so many other teams' picks. And so you just start beating mm-hmm. the teams whose picks you have and put them down the ladder. Like, you got to start trying and winning at some point. Yeah, you, you're going to ruin the development of so many players otherwise. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of a team that is starting to to turn on the go forage switch is the New Orleans Pelicans. No Zion. Welcome in first round pick Dyson Daniels to the mix uh, in a really, really fun New Orleans Memphis game. Uh, that was one of the best games of the season so far. The lineup on the floor at one point for New Orleans was was Jose Alvarado, uh, CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Dyson Daniels, and Herb Jones. No one there over over six eight, but a ton of length and ferocity at three of those defensive positions. Dyson Daniels could not stop getting rebounds. Was magnetic the ball towards his hands on the glass there. Herb Jones, of course, we saw it all year last year, one of the best perimeter defenders already in year two uh, in the NBA. And then Jose Alvarado, man, he just gets steals. That's what he does. He plays phenomenal defense. He stripped jaw late, uh, just made his life miserable. And I loved uh, that lineup on the floor. They, once they they get great minutes out of Daniels, they go to Larry Nance coming in to finish out the rest of the game. And this action that they have with CJ and and Ingram setting screens for one another, this kind of split cut action at the at the elbow with Nance handing off and being a screener and rolling, uh, really effective kind of three solid plays in a row. One of them Nance with a massive jam, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm I loved what the Pelicans did late in that game. Uh, their defensive lineup is something I think they might go to more in the fourth quarter, uh, even when Zion's healthy. Like Zion's a guy who can just light up a team for the third, first quarter and third quarter, and then you could have your other guys kind of lock it down. They've got so many options to go to with the amount of talent that they have deep into this team that we've already talked about. On the yeah. other side, John Morant, super bouncy. Uh, the switching dunk, uh, the steal that he had on the inbounds pass. He's always really, really fun to watch. And um, he gets a ton of pressure going the other way because of the attitude that this Memphis team has. They, they're really in your face about it and celebrate quite hard after every win. And uh, a lot of people don't appreciate that, but they've been a really fun team to watch. They finally get Jaron Jackson Jr. back for the first time this season. He instantly has an impact with five blocks in the game last night. Um, but story of this one, like 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 I said, and like you noted here with Dyson Daniels, was was the rebounding late in this game. And without Steven Adams on the court, Memphis is going to really struggle. And and they uh they go to Jaron Jackson at the five. That's when they give that up, even though that's their best offensive lineup. Well, they got the rebounds. They just couldn't get the second chance points in the fourth quarter. They had eight offensive rebounds, and I had to look it up after Pelicans the game. Pelicans did. No, the Grizzlies did. Mm. They were all over the offensive glass in that fourth quarter, but the as you mentioned, the... Um, Pelicans, like, really small. They couldn't, but they just kept defending chance after chance. They stayed strong. They made uh, Memphis have nothing easy. They reset the defense, and they when they eventually took it back, they uh, managed to capitalize off in, in transition. I thought it was a really interesting defensive showing where 
you can give up a bit of size and a bit of strength in the glass as long as you can bend but not break. And I thought that was ultimately what won the game for the Pelicans. I got nothing to add. All right, seven minutes to go. I don't know if we can get the rest of this pod out in one quick hit. Um, Raps, I didn't catch much of the Detroit game, just the last couple minutes. Uh, the the Downton stop on uh, Ivy, the really key moment that stood out for me there. Uh, but story of the game, other than that. Delano Banton, best, uh, best night as a Raptor. Knocked down a couple shots, really great in transition, and and stepped up. The whole bench stepped up when they needed it with no Fred, no Gary Trent, no Pascal. <laughs> and and yeah, just a, a phenomenal bench effort from the guys. Thaddeus Young's on a little bit of a hot streak run. He just does all of the little things right, mm-hmm. and in the regular season, that's amplified. Uh, he's been great rolling and hitting the short, uh, short shots and cleaning up the glass. This Raptors team. They just eat offensive rebounds. It's it's fantastic. And they locked up Miami in that game. 19-0 run in the third quarter. Got a lot of second chance points or opportunities. And you knew it was going to be a defensive slugfest between these two teams. Uh, difficult generating offense. And then they both lock in really well defensively. But uh, in this one, OG and Fred were the big shot makers. And, and if it wasn't Jimmy Butler, no one else on that Miami team was there. I mean, no hero, no bam. Uh, obviously Raptors missing players as well, but really emphasized how much those two players impact Miami's ability to create shots because they really struggled. And uh, and Scotty's definitely hurt because, yeah, he, he seems to be limp in every play. You, I've seen him get blown by so many times. I know Nurse has said he's not, but of course you can't go out and say, yeah, he's an easy target. Offenses go at him. Um. OG Ananobi by a mile, the first star of this game for me. Uh, it was so nice to see the shot creation. Uh, it's so often just threes and drives to the net, but he got in his mid-range bag successfully tonight, and that opened up a little more. Uh, when the defense finally climbed him down, he had a beautiful assist to Boucher late, and uh, it wasn't Jimmy Butler at all, all night. I think he only had eight shot attempts uh og really just nullified him he also um in that defensive slugfest in the fourth quarter uh two drives in transition that ananobi shut down both times from butler i think like those two go in and the heat would have taken the lead and had game-changing momentum Uh, Boucher and Young, the other two guys key for me in the fourth Boucher with that three the cut to the net that i mentioned uh, gets back defensively, and the offensive rebounds were, I mean, if you can't out-rebound a team like we did, out-turn them over like we did, and you lose, you're going to have a miserable feeling in the locker room. Uh, so, yeah, with, with those two, I can't remember the exact stats off the top of my head, but the way they played yeah. in those two factors, they just had to win this game. Um, Gabe Vincent gave me some scares early in the fourth, but other than that, no bam, no hero. Like, yeah. Some guys I've never heard of. Classic, classic Miami. Pulling oh guys out. Where do they yeah. grow these like tall <laughs> centers who just come in and make an impact? Because I'd like a word. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I th- I don't know if we can power through this in three minutes, but I want to give it a try. In the tennis world, with the ATP finals going on, 
Uh, some bad news for Canada, Felix Auger, Ali Asim losing tonight to Taylor Fritz. So it will be Casper Rudd and Taylor Fritz and advancing from one half. Uh, on the other half, Djokovic up 2-0 with wins over both Tsitsipas and Rublev, who will play tomorrow for the chance to advance. I think Djokovic's wins over them mean even if he loses to Medvedev, he has the head-to-head -head advantage. Likewise, I think Rudd gets the one seed over Fritz, um, despite his loss to Nadal today. Uh, so Sunday, we'll have the wrap-up on the singles, semifinals, and finals there. On to talking hockey. Matt Murray back, gets a win against his first former team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Leafs put together a, a complete effort, um, more so a study on how poor the Pittsburgh Penguins have been playing as of late. Uh, just didn't look great. At, at any time uh, out there, and, and the Leafs stayed on him. Uh, fantastic performances as of late of, from Jordy Ben, who was our seventh, eighth guy going into the season and now is a top two defenseman on this team. I don't think that's, uh, that's sustainable, but i uh, love to see a performance from him. And then hopefully with Shalgren playing at a backup level, they can they can get Murray back into the fold and and they have a big game tonight against the red hot New Jersey Devils who are thirteen and three so uh, interesting to see how that game's going to go tonight. On the other side of the hockey world, Connor McDavid gets uh, lit up by Alex Edler, uh, not for the first time, but a knee on knee collision. Edler guilty of doing the same thing to Hyman last year. Obviously, brawl ensues and I think it's got to be a suspension for Edler. I don't think we've heard yet or i don't think i think he even got called no for a hearing. yeah it's ridiculous you have to take those hits out of the game man this was a tough one for me the knee on knee happened because edler's <laughs> knees were wider than his shoulders but mcdavid drove in with a king player on his flank and he penned himself in uh, the only way this hit doesn't happen with the way mcdavid skated in is if edler takes his knees out and swerves to dodge uh the first i've watched it like five or six times couple angles this one didn't seem as blatant to me but with the history of edler and with the skill of mcdavid i feel very biased in the situation protect the kid all right we'll talk baseball in the next time big blue jays trade thanks everyone for listening indeed sports next door signing out we did it